Welcome to another episode of the Western Lit Podcast. This is your host, Robbie of the One Name. Welcome to uh, Friday, the 3rd of April class. And in this podcast, we're going to take a look at um, some of the, the key uh, scenes and issues that are raised in part two of the novel. You should notice, by the way, uh, that each part of the novel, there are three parts. Um, each part of the novel begins with 124. Book one, or part one, 124 was spiteful. And the whole section is initiated with that statement. Part two, 124 was loud. That's important in this section because it's loud. Why is it loud? Well, you have four chapters dedicated to the, 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 the unspeakable thoughts and the voices that are coming that, that even Stampede can hear as he stands outside of, of um, 124, not given access to it. But he hears, he hears, he can't, they're not quite decipherable, but he does hear one important word um, that we'll talk about. And, and then, Book three, you'll see in the next section, when you read the rest of the novel, finish up the novel, 124 was quiet. So um, as we continue on, you're going you're gonna, gonna to try to set up some of the things that have occurred in this section and lead up to a uh, part with a special guest reader um, and uh, reflect on some of the, the puzzling elements of of that of that section of unspeakable thoughts and maybe wrap up with a brief conversation about what takes place towards the end of this and what incites the community to action after 18 years of allowing 124 and its inhabitants to um, be ostracized by the community. And so the novel is moving toward a communal response and toward um, ultimately love, being loved, be loved. So, uh, hang in there. Here we go. Okay. So, um, leading up to the unspeakable thoughts chapter, you have some really interesting stuff. And I, those four chapters, they go like this first, Setha, then Denver, then beloved, then the fourth chapter, which is really interesting in which you'll hear a segment of, of that read later in the podcast by, our special guest, Tony Morrison, um, the, the voices sort of merge together. Beloved's chapter is the most difficult and complex. And you journaled about that, like trying to figure out who she thinks, who, who does she perceive herself to be? Um, and it's complicated and ambiguous. And she is much more expansive in her understanding of herself, if she has understanding of herself, than merely the sister of Denver, the daughter of Setha, who in this section, Setha has, you know, it, it clicks, right? She hears Beloved sing that song that only only she knew, right? That only Setha ever sang. How does Beloved know that song, right? So she's like, it clicks. Oh my goodness, she's back. And Setha has, of course, desperately desired some kind of reconciliation and a chance to explain to her daughter why she had, why she did what she did to express her love for her. Right. And so this is her chance. Now, whatever, whatever that means within the world of the novel, we're supposed, you're supposed to hold that at, at bay. It's important. Setha believes now that this, this is, this beloved is her daughter 
grown up and come back somehow from beyond the realm of the dead. Okay. Um, Denver thinks my sister, she, she came back here. She is. And she's my companion. She was my ghost. She was the ghost friend I had for a long time. And now here she is in the flesh, right? Again, but beloved really complicates that in her chapter. All right. But what are we hearing or, or what, what are we, what are we getting when we read these chapters? Okay. So this is important. And this happens on page 234 and 235. So I'm going to read a section from 234 and 235 that Paul D and we're in sort of Paul D's thoughts. This comes right after we've had these, these, these memories of Seth remembering um, how dehumanizing uh, overhearing a school teacher talking with his nephews having them list the slaves um, human characteristics on one side of the page and their animal characteristics on the other side of the page. It's just like a devastating moment where you think Setha is like, doesn't even know what characteristics are. Right. Um, And so she asked Mrs. Garner about this and like, we're getting this in the, in, in the memory of Seth realizing yeah, they don't think of us as fully human. We have animal characteristics and human characteristics. So there's kind of amusing upon this. And Paul, Paul D. Sorry, Stamp paid when he goes by 124. He hears something. He he hears. He's he's really troubled by the way that he can't just walk in the door. Something prevents him just from just walking in the door. Stamp paid has this ability all over. The, the Cincinnati area to walk into any black person's home just because he's been so kind and so Christian and so charitable and helped them. And once he's helped them, he takes that as like permission to just take up residence there and he can walk in. But somehow he looks through the window and he sees three, the backs of three characters in there, one of whom he's never seen before, but he also hears voices. One of the words that he hears that he can make out, it's sort of indecipherable, is the word mine. Okay, but listen to this passage, bottom of, it starts on page 234 and goes up to the end of this chapter, right before the first chapter of, of Setha's unspeakable thoughts. The day Stamp Paid saw the two backs through the window and then hurried down the steps, he believed the undecipherable language clamoring around the house was the mumbling of the black and angry dead. Very few had died in bed like baby Suggs, and none that he knew of, including baby Suggs, had lived a livable life. Even the educated colored, the long school people, the doctors, the teachers, the paper writers and businessmen had a hard row to hoe. In addition to having to use their heads to get ahead, They had the weight of the whole race sitting there. You needed two heads for that. White people believed that whatever the manners under every dark skin was a jungle. Swift, unnavigable water, swinging, screaming baboons, sleeping snakes, red gums ready for their sweet white blood. In a way, he thought, they were right. The more colored people spent their strength trying to convince them how gentle they were, how clever and loving, how human, the more they used themselves up to persuade whites of something Negroes believed could not be questioned. The deeper and more tangled the jungle grew inside. But it wasn't the jungle blacks brought with them to this place from the other livable place. It was the jungle white folks planted in them. 
and it grew. It spread. In, through, and after life, it spread until it invaded the whites who had made it, touched them, every one, changed and altered them, made them bloody, silly, worse than even they wanted to be. So scared were they of the jungle they had made, the screaming baboon lived under their own white skin. The red gums were their own. Meantime, the secret spread of this new kind of white folks jungle was hidden, silent, except once in a while when you could hear its mumbling in places like 124. Stampede abandoned his efforts to see about Setha after the pain of knocking and not gaining entrance, and when he did, 124 was left to its own devices. When Setha locked the door, the women inside were free at last to be what they liked, see whatever they saw, and say what whatever was on their minds. Almost. Mixed in with the voices surrounding the house, recognizable but undecipherable to Stampede, were the thoughts of the women of 124. Unspeakable thoughts. Unspoken. So this comes from the fourth of the Unspeakable Thoughts chapters, and it's in the section of it right where right after right after I will not lose her again, she is mine. And from there, the voices of the three women intermingle. So I'd like to introduce you to my very special guest in this podcast, Tony Morrison, who will read the remainder of that chapter. Um, and uh, so here is the author reading uh, from Tell Me the Truth. Tell me the truth. Didn't you come from the other side? Yes, I was on the other side. You came back because of me? Yes. You remembering me? Oh, yes, I remember you. You never forgot me. Your face is mine. Do you forgive me? Will you stay? You're safe here now. Where are the men without skin? Out there, way off. Can they get in here? No. They tried that once, but I stopped them. They won't ever come back. One of them was in the house I was in. He hurt me. They can't hurt us no more. Where are your earrings? They took them from me. The men without skin took them? Yes. I was going to help you, but the clouds got in the way. There are no clouds here. If they put an iron circle around your neck, I will bite it away. Beloved, I will make you a round basket. You're back. You're back. Will we smile at me? Can't you see I'm smiling? I love your face. We played by the creek. I was there in the water. In the quiet time we played. The clouds were noisy and in the way. When I needed you, you came to be with me. I needed her face to smile. I could only hear breathing. The breathing is gone. Only the teeth are left. She said you wouldn't hurt me. 
She hurt me. I will protect you. I want her face. Don't love her too much. I am loving her too much. Watch out for her. She can give you dreams. She chews and swallows. Don't fall asleep when she braids your hair. She is the laugh. I am the laughter. I watch the house. I watch the yard. She left me. Daddy's coming for us. A hot thing. Beloved, you are my sister. You are my daughter. You are my face. You are me. I have found you again. You've come back to me. You are my beloved. You are mine. You are mine. You are mine. I have your milk. I have your smile. I will take care of you. You are my face. I am you. Why did you leave me who am you? I will never leave you again. Don't ever leave me again. You will never leave me again. You went in the water. I drank your blood. I brought your milk. You forgot to smile. I loved you. You hurt me. You came back to me. You left me. I waited for you. You are mine. You are mine. You are mine. All right. We want to thank Tony Morrison for visiting our class, right? And reading that for us. Anyway, um, what do you find particularly puzzling about this section that Tony Morrison has just read for us? What we have here, of course, is in the first part of it, a back and forth between Beloved, then a back and forth between Denver and Beloved. Uh, did I say first is Setha and Beloved, then Denver and Beloved? Then the three voices come together and it's, 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 it's a little more difficult towards the end to figure out who is saying what. But if you go back to your text and you mark each of the separated lines uh, with a D or with an S for Setha, with a B for Beloved, and in the second part with a, uh, a D for Denver and a B for Beloved, and in the third part, S, D, or B, right, depending on who um, is 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 speaking and in trying to figure figure out who is saying what there are some striking lines here who do you who does what can you tell from this section about what these characters desire what they what what their concerns are um especially setha and and denver and then what is revealed again in this section about the identity of beloved if anything um clearly they're, they're kind of talking past each other when they speak with Beloved because Beloved does not reveal uh, explicitly uh, that she identifies herself as whom both Denver and Setha identify her as. You remember me? Yes, I remember. You never forgot me? Your face is mine. When Beloved says that to Setha, your face is mine, what does she mean by that? Remember, notice that Setha wants forgiveness and are you going to stay now? Um, and she asks, where are the men without skin? What does she mean by that? Where are the white men? Um, uh, can they get in here? No, they tried once, right? And Setha's like, they tried once and uh, I stopped them. How did she stop them? She stopped them by killing, Bel not beloved, killing her daughter. Um, 
and they're not ever going to come back. But that is that what beloved is talking about here. She says, one of them was in the house I was in. He hurt me. What does that mean? How, do, how does that relate perhaps to Paul D's theory that this character beloved was uh, kept as a, as a kind of sex slave for some white men, kept her in the basement and she has escaped from that. And that that's who she is literally. All right. And maybe she is that literally, and maybe she's taken on, you know, some of the identity of somehow of the dead daughter in some strange way, possessed by the, the, the ghost of the dead baby, but still a human person. Uh, who, who knows? Um, that, that, that's not an answer to the question that's exploring possibilities. Um, she, she, uh, she keeps talking about the clouds get in the way. What, what are these clouds? At one point earlier, she says it's clouds of gun smoke that get away. And in the earlier chapter, Beloved's chapter, we get the sense that Beloved is describing what it was like to be on one of the slave ships at one point. And there's gunfire and the clouds of gun smoke are in the way and the slave ship goes down somehow. Uh, she's, she, is she uh, taken on the identity of the 60 million and more somehow? People, people who came over from Africa on the, uh, in the middle passage on the slave ships? Uh, that's, that's puzzling. Um, but uh, this, this notion, what does that mean? You have my face. Um, what is a face, but a kind of identity somehow I am you is almost what, what beloved is saying she is. So B beloved is really com complex, right? Uh, and those are really, really interesting sort of comments that are being made here as the characters talk to each other or unspeakable thoughts pass each other in conversation. Um, Yeah. You are my face. You are me, Beloved says at one point. I think that's Beloved's unspeakable thought. Um, that's really interesting. What might that mean? So anyway, this doesn't is going to add up to me providing you with the answer on the identity of Beloved here. Think of her identity as expanding and expansive what does she represent for the individual characters? What does she represent for the community? What does she represent for American history as a whole? 60 million and more. How does she function in the, in the, in the case of, in, in the context of the novel? Those are the questions we have to ask ourselves. And uh, yeah. But the important thing to remember is in the end of these unspeakable thoughts, is notice what each one says about the others or other. You are mine, you are mine, you are mine. Think about that possessive pronoun. In a novel about a ghost, possession, ownership, a novel about ownership and slavery, each of these characters wants to take ownership and declare ownership of another character. You are mine. You are mine. You are mine. Ponder that. The, the, the power of possession and ownership in a novel about slavery and freedom. Mine is a really important word. So what's the most important word in the Unspeakable Thoughts chapter? My. Mine.
mine, mine, belonging, mine. And it's a, it's, it's a, in one sense, it's, it can be a wonderfully freeing word, but in another sense, it's dangerous, 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 dangerous to have a possessive kind of clinging love like that. So there you go. What's the most important word in the unspeakable thoughts chapter? It is mine, mine, mine. Okay, so finally, there's one more thing, or maybe two more things I want to talk about in this in this last section of today's class um, on this podcast, and it's uh, the character Stamp Paid, and especially his conversation with Ella. If you take a look at pages 218 through 222, there's a really fascinating conversation. These are important members of the broader community, broader Black African-American community, former slave community, freed slave community here in Cincinnati. Okay. And uh, Stamp goes to Ella's house and Ella, Ella and John's house. And Ella has a conversation with her. And the conversation is really interesting because Stamp has mentions that he was out at 124 and saw somebody who was there who never seen before. And Ella is like, uh, I don't know, there's somebody there. Um, so, somebody there then, boy, I, I might, I might be, you know, you know what that might be, right? It might be a ghost or some, something like, so she is, she right away has got ghosts on her minds, minds. Um, but then he also mentions that what's the deal? Where's, where's Paul D? How come he hasn't been, been, been around? And she said, you know, I guess he's staying in the church basement and Paul D or Stan Pate is furious that no one has taken him in. And she says, uh, if he asks, we'll take him in and Stamp just reprimands her. He shouldn't have to ask. That's ridiculous. He shouldn't have to ask. Anybody here he should be welcome at. So S Stamp is furious over the, the lack of um, compassion and hospitality. And part of it, it resorts back to, relates back to that Stamp was out at 124 and by association, he's suddenly not welcome. But then when they mention that Paul D had known baby Suggs was at 124. It sort of changes the thing. And, and stamp is, uh, um, I guess, um, uh, sort of wins Ella over and Ella is an important character. So I just want to mention her. She's a really important character in the, in the novel going forward, pay attention to her actions and how they initiate, um, initiate and incite the community to, toward action. There, there will be several, we, we had four horsemen in, in the earlier section. We're going to have some really important women who are incited to action on behalf of rescuing the inhabitants of 124 from uh, their bondage and oppression and possession, right? Uh, in in the in the last part of this, so watch for that. Ella plays an important role, and think about, pay attention to as you read on what motivates her to action. Here she's motivated to action. Um, once once Stamp Paid uh, has a uh, conversation with her, and I think I think that's 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 uh, um, really important uh, to watch for. Now Stamp Paid then after the unspeakable thoughts chapters goes to have a conversation in the church basement with, or on the church steps, I guess, with Paul D who is, who has been 
um, who's down. I mean, he's, he's, he's drinking and he's, he's miserable, miserable over what he has learned about Setha and, you know, life sort of has him down. And he and Stamp Paid have a conversation and Stamp talks with him about, and just saying, look, man, you're welcome. Any house you want in this, any colored person in this entire community, you're welcome. I want you to know that. And, um, Stamp reveals some really interesting things about what happened to him in the past. And I just want you to pay attention to those. How he got his name Stamp Paid is important. And, you know, reflect on why he is motivated to do what he does. He becomes a catalyst of grace, an, an extremely important instrument carrier of grace in the novel. Uh, and, yeah, so he he's a really obvious intrusion of grace. And but if you think what motivated him to become who he is and why his, he is named what he is named, Sam Pate had a wife, right? Watch watch for what uh, happened there and how how that story unfolds. I'm not going to narrate it here, but to just remind you of it. So anyway, that's today's podcast. Um, do take the quiz. Uh, it's really simple and easy and. Feel free um, when you, uh, you you watch this uh, if it, it, the, this uh, podcast on the page in the announcement where you see this posted. If you want to uh, make any comments or ask any questions, just hit reply on the announcement where where this was posted. And uh, take care of yourself. Keep doing good work. Your journals are really good. Um, you might look ahead a little bit. Notice that the that what's coming uh, next week, the end of next by the end of next week, your next uh, project number two proposal. So do be thinking about that as well. Uh, take care of yourself. Get outside on these beautiful days when the sun is shining. If you're in our area, I don't know where you are. You're all probably all over the country, but here today in Mishawaka on campus, it is stunningly beautiful. And so take care of yourselves, everyone. This has been another episode of the Western Lake Podcast, brought to you by yours truly, Robbie of the One Name. Mm-hmm.